Hi, this is the Landscape Ontario podcast. I am Scott Barber. Today we have Andrew Harkness from the Workplace Safety and Prevention Services. He joins us to talk about workplace mental health. Uh, This is an incredibly important issue and he's going to discuss some of the things that business owners can do to support their employees. Also, on December 2nd, 2020, uh, Andrew's going to join the LO COVID-19 Task Force for a town hall webinar where he's going to talk about these issues. Uh, task Force members are going to talk about what they're doing in their businesses. We hope you'll tune in for that. If you're listening after December 2nd, uh, feel free to go over to Landscape Ontario's YouTube channel where you can find that broadcast in full uh, for a replay. But first, we hope you'll enjoy this episode of the Landscape Ontario podcast. maybe just start with a bit of an overview of you know why it's important why is it really important for employers to think about mental health in their workplace I think we've learned over the past 20 odd years that um, most of our focus on health and safety to date has been in the area of physical harm prevention physical injury prevention you can look to our legislation and you can look to our behaviors and it's primarily been around trying to prevent those um, injuries that could lead to fatalities, critical injuries, and, and the like. And what we've also been realizing, both in the community and globally, is that the onset of chronic stress is becoming an epidemic across the globe, and that was before COVID. And, and really, it's a silent killer in the sense of, especially in, in days gone by where stigma was a big issue, it would be hard for people to come forward and address their mental health issues and probably not even want to connect them to what's going on in the workplace. More recently, we've we've been paying more attention to the, the aspect of treat mental injury in the same way you would treat physical injury. And I think that that, that could sort of help people understand that it's, this gives us a more comprehensive understanding of the impact of work on our, on our, on our overall health. And I think the other thing that businesses need to continue to pay attention to is this is probably one of the fastest growing costs that companies are having to address today. And we start seeing 30% of benefit claims and 70% of benefit costs now being associated with mental health. When we start looking at over the course of this next 10 years, our concern is at the rate that we're going, this will be the leading cause of morbidity and disability in Canada. So I think that's, even before we got into the, the year that we've had this year, paying attention to the to to our staff mental health is good for productivity, it's good for efficiency, it's good for overall um, health and well-being of our staff and, and the like. Um, to me, it's just the right thing to do. Absolutely. So, so can you talk a little bit about, you know, the factors that, you know, really impact and affect, you know, uh, mental health in somebody's workplace? When the national standard was released by CSA Group and BNQ, I think it helped us really start to focus on what do we actually mean by how the organization is managed and how, sorry, how people are managed and how the organization is organized. And when we look at those things, these are on the plus side, these are things that we're already doing. But on the negative side, these are the factors that can lead to toxicity in our workplace. And basically it's a combination of our basic human values, we seek justice, we seek fairness, we like to be involved, we like to be seen as being belonging to something and, uh, and being seen as value. And when we, when we thwart those human values, again, this can cause 
an aspect of being disengaged and even breaking off the work relationship. People don't generally leave their company. They leave their managers. And so that employee-manager relationship is a critical factor all by itself. But in addition, the national standards said these, these organizational work factors, and the, we, we've identified 13 and we put a plus beside it, to say these are the heavy hitters. Things like work-life balance and civility and respect and psychological safety and clear leadership and expectations. There's 13 of these that now give us much more focus. We can get in and work on things then rather than sort of thinking, okay, this is going to make for a better workplace. Everybody's going to be happy, group hug, that type of thing. This is tangible stuff, and it really gives us an opportunity to, to make a difference. The beauty of it is that this is the kind of stuff that the high-performance organizations have known for a long time, and they pay attention to it because what it means for their bottom line is they get higher customer satisfaction through higher uh, worker and, and staff uh, satisfaction. So it's, it's sort of taking a look at that and saying that these factors now give us an opportunity to focus. For sure, and, and then it's a it's a win win all around because obviously it's uh, it's the right thing to do, and it's uh, you know and it's also as a uh, as a consequence so subsequently it's it's uh, it's good for business too. Absolutely. Um, so when when a business owner is going down the path to try to address you know try to try to be proactive in this space, what are some of the first things? that uh, you would suggest somebody, you know, how, what's the first step? I think we have to get a pretty good understanding of what, what our pain points are. So there's a couple things that I would be suggesting people. If this is brand new, then there probably needs to be a, a bit of awareness and uh, education and also some efforts to tackle the stigma concerns because we really want to try to create an environment where people can have a better understanding of what we're talking about, but also be in a position where they have to bring information forward. Sorry, I'm no, no short of breath sometimes on the topic. My first step would be saying what we call getting started, which is, again, focusing on awareness, education, um, and, and bringing some understanding to what it is we're talking about with our staff. And I think the big thing is, is trying to differentiate the concept of mental illness from what we mean by mental harm prevention. And mental illness is the clinical conversation that you have with your doctor. And that's, there's no place for that in the workplace. We don't, we don't have rights to and don't want rights to that kind of information, just like we don't talk about it from a physical point of view either. That's between your doctor and you. What we want to talk about, though, in a parallel is that if somebody has a musculoskeletal carpal tunnel syndrome or they have a neck strain or back pain, the back pain and, and cure and, and, and maintaining this, so that is between you and your doctor. But when you tell me that I injured my back at work, now I need to focus on that because it's work-related. And it's the same thing for the mental, mental health conversations that we have now is when we talk about mental health in the area of mental harm and mental injury, it's implying that that, that, that makes it work-related. And so I'm not going to challenge your anxiety. I'm going to ask about, well, let's talk about what's triggering it. And if it's, again, coming back to those factors, it gives us basically our root cause that we can, be, can identify and work with. I think the second step that you want to take is getting a better understanding of what your own baseline is. So if you're tracking stats like your absenteeism, turnover, presenteeism, conflicts, incidents, grievances, whatever they 
whatever they may be for you, your benefit utilization, getting an understanding of what is, what are you at in terms of those performance numbers that acts as a baseline for us that if we're going to go forward, we can use these as a way to compare and, uh, and gap um, trends going forward. Um, but it also may be new information to an organization. And as you said, many of our employers and the vast majority of our membership is for small employers. And so it may be a little bit more difficult to track down what you see as being being the cost to go with that. But you can, I think, be able to start to make some some headway in that sense. And then the, the second piece to that is now start to look at some ways to do some needs assessments, whether you do surveys, whether you do focus groups or interviews, um, basically, or with, you could even take a look at your own evidence and say, okay, I, I can see that we have an issue around harassment. So I don't need to do a survey for that. Let's deal with the harassment issue. Um, so those those are some ways to sort of look to um, can identify what my pain points are in order for me to identify what corrective actions could be in place for that. One of the things that helps us in this field is that, and especially for that small business, is there is a wealth, and I mean it, there is lots of resource out there that is prepaid and available to people free of charge. And, you know, more so than in almost any other resource area you want to talk about. So, in fact, it's, we find ourselves supporting organizations by trying to help them sift through all that information and say, what's the best resources for us? Um, so, looking at those sort of things. And then for some organizations, the, maybe the more mature, sophisticated, um, and, and um, looking for best practices type of workplaces, Looking at the CSA's 1003 National Standard for Psychological Health and Safety in the Workplace is a blueprint or map for how you put a full management system uh, process in place, utilizing that to manage your psychological health and safety programming. So I'm in a nutshell, I'm getting started, gaining momentum, and raising the bar are sort of the three themes we use to talk about stigma reduction and awareness, needs assessments and pain points, and or adopting the national standard. So for our community, you know, as I, as I mentioned, you know, so many of our members are, are small business owners. You know, what, is, is it hard? Is it harder? You mentioned some of, uh, you know, larger, more sophisticated companies that uh, have been implementing some of these strategies for years. You know, is it difficult for a smaller business? You know, is it, is it possible for a smaller business, a sole proprietor that doesn't have an HR department to, you know, address these issues in a really meaningful way, do you think? I think they have a huge upside, to be honest, because one of the things we, we identify in so many organizations is how easy it is to miscommunicate and to get out of touch with people and all that sort of thing. And I think when we do talk about the smaller businesses, you don't need to have a procedure for how you're going to write a press release. I mean, it's, you know, I'm going to go talk to one of my colleagues, and it's basically I, I walk across the hall and I'm going to go talk to them. So I think there's advantages in smaller business about having an ability to be more um, informed and knowledgeable about my staff. Um, what's to stop me as the owner to be, you know, greeting people when they come in in the morning? How are you doing? Glad you're here for me with us today. How's the family? And you probably can name the names of the family people. And I think that that's the advantage that really can do a lot towards, remember the basic human values of wanting to belong, wanting to be considered valuable, being able to contribute, being treated fairly. I, I don't see that being only for one size of an organization, but I see that if I'm looking at it as being sole proprietor of my mom and pop shop, I mean, these are these should have been my ten commandments of how I should be treating my staff because we can show you the evidence that this stuff works. 
and now here in 2020, you know, what are some of the, you know, additional challenges would you say with the uh, the pandemic stress and and how do you think you know what are you seeing you know best practices in terms of uh, what companies are doing to you know tackle that additional stress of the pandemic for their workforce? You've heard about that one, have you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's a couple of ways I'd like to answer the question. The first one would be we all still have to live life. So we all have things going on in our lives, financial, relationship, health-wise, business-wise. They're all still there. What pandemic has done is put a magnifying glass to it and make it all that much more challenging. And in fact, the pandemic itself also lends itself to further financial issues and job security issues. And of course, the concerns about our health and all that sort of piece too. I think it has, has certainly um, been a wake-up call for the world to recognize that when you talk about something like this, just how devastating it can be. Uh, when you talk about the measures that you try to take and you still hear people getting sick or people not wanting to take the measures and how frustrating that can be. Uh, it's funny, in health and safety, we tend to look at personal protective equipment as being sort of your last line of defense. But when we talk about pandemic, it's generally the first line of defense. When we talk about wearing your masks and wearing the visors and putting the the sanitation pro, uh, plans in place for washing and talking about physical distancing, which is the right term, not social distancing. It's physical distancing we want. In fact, what we'd rather have is social um, inclusiveness. We know by our research that, that um, social connections, meaning the links you have to your friends, your family, and your colleagues, um, when they're healthy, they have a positive effect on our mental health because they combat the aspects of isolation and loneliness, which is what so many of us are feeling now after nine, ten months of trying to, you know, being being working from home or having to be in quarantine or having to go through the lockdown stuff. And we don't see anybody telling us now, like they did in the early days, oh, this will be good only, you know, we only have to worry about it for March break or for Victoria Day or for July 1st. We'll be good by Labor Day. Oh, it'll be Thanksgiving. When we got to that point, nobody's telling you it's going to be gone by Christmas anymore. They're not even saying it's going to be gone by Easter. So we've taken away some of that, that optimism just to say, boy, this is, a, this is going to be a long haul for all of us to get through. But I think it's, uh, you know, it, it has escalated. And I think for, again, for, you know, I really feel for the small business because they don't have a lot of buffer. They don't have a lot of, you know, the, the, the nest money in the, in the bank somewhere that they can just draw upon. We're keeping our doors open or growing our business, and then we get hit with something like this. And it just must be so frustrating to now have to say, well, we have to shutter our, our business for two weeks because somebody tested positive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a huge challenge. But, um, you know, so for, for our members, again, for, for where would you steer, where would you tell people they should, uh, if they, if they want to learn more, um, is there a <coughs> direct them to go check out? Yeah, uh, there's a couple. And you raise a really good point along with this, Scott, is that is you really need to be careful about where you're getting your information from. That is that is really important. And it's you know, it's, it's the TV stations you watch, it's the newspapers you read, the magazines you read, those sort of things. You know, again, they're all there to sell their, their business. They're not necessarily going to be the best source of information. And you, you can sort of look back over the last six months especially and all the, all, how this has been a politicized 
illness, and uh, and it really shouldn't be. So I would say to you, yes, your sources should be credible to start with. Public Health Ontario, Public Health Canada, this is the ultimate source because these are the folks that, of course, are, that are setting the rules and uh, and guiding daily where they, you know, the decisions they're making about how they how they shutter the province or not in terms of um, different sectors and different degrees of uh, of, of lockdown. Um, the Canadian Mental Health Association, the uh, CMHA, the Mental Health Commission of Canada, uh, Conference Board of Canada, um, the safety associations, including ours. These are credible sources of information. The, the government, obviously, as well, but I think even within the, the Ministry of Health, Ministry of Labor, um, all of those folks have, have really gone overboard um, providing some resources. Uh, and, and generally, again, they're all free. Um, they can be anything from webinars to articles to uh, checklists and guidelines. Um, I invite your, your audience to, to visit WSPS.ca. And there is the COVID-19 radio button on the front. And that'll open up a wealth of resource to you. What you want to keep in mind is we've tried to also stream it so that it might be information that you need to keep my doors open or what should I be doing when I'm not laying off my staff? And then what are, what am I doing as I'm ready to now bring my staff back? And there's some really good stuff there that can guide the business to, you know, again, anticipate uh, what are going to be some of those challenges going forward. If it is keeping our business open, I think it's, it's also things like revisiting some of your, if you have them, policies and procedures around sick leave, sick days, um, vacation days, those kind of things. And, and I think we revisit some of that stuff and think about it from the perspective of um, being flexible in this time. Uh, having so many people working from home over this past nine months, I think it's blown up by many of the myths and situations about what you can do in work and what you you don't have to do at work and being able to have more flexibility. Um, and I think the other side of it too is you're in this as well as, a, as the employer. The last thing you want is one of your staff to test positive because you're going to it'll jeopardize, especially that smaller operation, at least two weeks of quarantine for your staff. And, and if we can avoid that by being as diligent as we, as we can in terms of um, how we manage our staff and how we keep them informed and support them and getting them to realize that, they, you know, testing positive, we, we need to have that information. So did we create an environment that was psychologically safe for people to step forward? And, you know, you have to be aware. We, we hear stories of, you know, employees um, getting up and, and, and challenging the, the, the worker who tested positive and being angry with them, mainly because they're now going to be shut down for two weeks as well. And so, you know, this this can be a um, really a... a uh, a bomb going off in our workplace, uh, and we have to be prepared for it. And you know, to me, one of the best things with managing things like fear and uncertainty is face it and and, and look for information and edu- educate ourselves where we're going with this and what are some of the emerging things that may be additional types of controls for us. Sure. And I'm definitely going to li- uh, leave uh, a link uh, to the WSPS uh, resources uh, along with this podcast, whether you're listening on a podcast app or, you know, watching on YouTube. And I, and I do want to also mention that uh, we're really excited to have Andrew 
uh, joining our LO COVID-19 Task Force for a webinar on December 2nd, um, where we're going to explore these issues a little further and uh, have some of the Task Force members on to talk about what they're doing in their businesses. So if you're listening before December 2nd, we hope you'll join us uh, at noon. Uh, I'll also leave a link for that. Uh, if you're listening after December 2nd, well, it'll be on, available to replay any time uh, on Landscape Ontario's YouTube channel. So definitely go there, subscribe, and and check it out. So, Andrew, um, I, I, of course, you know, we could talk for, for hours. This is such an important topic. Um, there's so much there, um, and you, you obviously are a wealth of knowledge on it. Um, but I think we'll leave it there and uh, hope that people will go and find out more uh, and hope that this has got people thinking about what they can do, how they can be proactive, where they can find some good information. And uh, we hope they'll join us uh, on December 2nd for the, for the uh, webinar as well. But uh, I thank you so much for your time. It's, uh, it's, it's a really important topic. Well, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to the, to the webinar uh, next week.